Tuesday the 13th does not quite have the vibe that comes with its more familiar cousin, but there have been a frightful number of things that I've been meaning to get into a newsletter. This is the one-year anniversary of Charlottesville Community Engagement, and a year ago, I took a leap of faith to begin bringing you information about what's happening in the area in and around Charlottesville, with a focus on local meetings. I'm Sean Tubbs, and I'm glad to say that I'm grateful that you and many others have become listeners over the past year. The world doesn't have to be a scary place if people are armed with information and the power of critical thinking. In this episode of the program, the Albemarle County Economic Development Authority endorses an ownership change at a section of Southwood. Community members ask questions at the Barracks Emmett public hearing. And several area companies receive funding from Virginia for early stage research. In today's Substack Fueled Shoutout, Code for Charlottesville is seeking volunteers with tech, data, design, and research skills to work on community service projects. Founded in September of 2019, Code for Charlottesville has worked on projects with the Legal Aid Justice Center, the Charlottesville Fire Department, and the Charlottesville Office of Human Rights. Visit the Code for Charlottesville website to learn more, including details on what projects are underway. In a sign that the pandemic continues to be dormant, Albemarle County reopened its office buildings to the public yesterday. Though regular business hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. have resumed, community members who need to transact business are asked to call 434-243-7929 to ensure that the service they want is available. The last day the buildings were open to the public was March 27, 2020. Public meetings will remain virtual for now, as the county continues to operate under a local emergency. At the same time, the Virginia Department of Health today reports another 346 new cases of COVID-19, and the 7-day percent positivity rate is at 2.3 percent. Today's case count is the highest number of new cases since May 28, when 444 new cases were reported. Governor Northam has announced that his first budget proposal for the Virginia government's share of Federal American Rescue Plan Act funding will be to use $353 million for small business and industries that were hit hard by the pandemic. Part of that will be $50 million to assist the Virginia Tourism Corporation with a Virginia Tourism Recovery Program. Another $250 million will be added to the existing Rebuild Virginia Program. The balance of the funding will go to the Industrial Revitalization Fund and the Virginia Main Street Program. Two local recovery programs currently have open windows for grant applications. Albemarle County is receiving applications for its Agribusiness Resiliency Grant Program through July 26th for awards of up to $10,000. You can apply in a link in the newsletter. You can also find a link to the Charlottesville Office of Economic Development's accepting of applications for the second round of their BRACE grant for small businesses. BRACE stands for Building Resiliency Among Charlottesville Entrepreneurs and offers up to $2,500 for businesses to gain resiliency and adapt in response to a threat such as the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Several area researchers and entrepreneurs will receive an infusion of funding from the state government to advance development of new technologies. Governor Ralph Northam has announced the inaugural recipients of the Commonwealth Commercialization Fund, which seeks to boost research in a variety of fields, including autonomous systems, clean energy, cybersecurity, and data analytics. Grants of up to $100,000 will go to firms engaged in early-stage technology. Recipients in the area include Advery of Charlottesville for Progress Toward Commercialization of a Novel Hydrogen-Based Product for Pelvic Brachytherapy, Agrospheres of Charlottesville for Commercialization of Reliable, Sustainable Crop Protection Products, Bono Mose of Charlottesville for Making Healthy Sugar Affordable for the Mass Market, Casa Health LLC of Earliesville for Improving Women's Health Outcomes, a new diagnostic research tool, Cirillo of Charlottesville for Development of a Low-Cost, Miniaturized, Field-Deployable ELISA Reader, Contraline of Charlottesville for Development of Market Access Strategy for a Novel Male Contraceptive, Icarus Medical LLC of Charlottesville for determination of clinical outcomes for a novel multi-compartment unloader brace. Laser Thermal Analysis of Charlottesville for steady-state thermoreflectance in fiber optics. Leading Edge Advanced Fibers of Charlottesville for development of ultra-lightweight materials for use in satellites. And finally, Metaform of Charlottesville for system for effectively integrating disparate information sources. Kind of like this newsletter. This is your host, Chantal, community engagement. One of several major transportation projects intended to make Charlottesville an easier place to bike or walk passed a milestone last week. In 2017, the city was awarded $8.6 million in Virginia Department of Transportation SmartScale funds for a project at the intersection of Barracks Road and Emmett Street. The design public hearing for that project was held on July 7, 2021. Here's the narrator of a presentation shown during that virtual meeting. The purpose of the project is to improve the operational performance of the Barracks Road and Emma Street intersection while also enhancing bicycle, pedestrian, and transit facilities serving the adjacent neighborhoods. The work will include a new northbound right turn lane on Emmett Street, an additional westbound left-hand turn lane on Barracks Road, upgraded traffic signals, increased medians, and a shared-use path up Barracks Road to Buckingham Road. Part of the work will involve something called a pedestrian refuge to allow slower walkers to cross Emmett Street and take a break. The scope of bicycle and pedestrian improvements on Barracks Road were somewhat less defined, which provided an opportunity to involve local citizens in the early planning and decision-making process. One nearby resident expressed concern that this plan seemed to have come from nowhere and that it may not actually work. Joel Bass had this question. This has been a long time question for me about Charlottesville and planning and development. Is How do we actually develop in this town without working with UVA and getting feedback from them on their plans? Before we hear from city staff, some background on mutual planning in this area. In 1986, Albemarle, Charlottesville, and the University of Virginia signed a three-party agreement, and until 2019, there was a public body known as the Planning and Coordination Council, where projects and planning were both discussed in the open. 
Since late 2019, a private body called the Land Use and Environmental Planning Committee, or LUPEC, and those events are closed to the public. This group last met on June 25th, and there is one page of minutes, which you can read in a link in the newsletter. But back to the Barracks Emmett project. There is a steering committee that includes a member of the UVA Office of the Architect, and those meetings are open to the public. Kyle Kling is in Charlottesville's Public Works Department. So in our department, we meet quarterly with the university to discuss um, projects that the city is administering, as well as projects that the university has throughout their grounds. And um, during those conversations, we always discuss how things will trend during the future and how projects may supplement each other. So, So that coordination is ongoing. Two other smart-scale projects are in the planning stages to the south on Emmett Street. The Emmett Street streetscape had its design public hearing in December of 2019. The Commonwealth Transportation Board just approved $20.6 million in funding for a second phase of that project that would span between Arlington Boulevard and Barracks Road. There was some concern at the public hearing about the shared use path, which will travel about a third of a mile up the hill on Barracks Road to Buckingham and Hilltop Roads. Gregory Kastner appreciated that the city is going to get a dedicated facility at this location, but he had a question about how that would fit into a larger network. As you're on the the bike lane coming up the road, how does that kind of transition to the current sidewalk? Because with it ending at Hilltop, there's still a fair bit of up to go where the rider is going to be going pretty slow and really wouldn't be a great place to get kind of dumped out on the road. Kastner said he hoped the scope of the project extended up to Rugby Road, where the hill flattens. Kyle Kling said in the short term, a sharrow would be painted on the road as VDOT has strict rules about extending smart scale projects past the boundaries outlined in their initial application. I do know um, that there are some plans in the works on the city's end to kind of continue bike and pedestrian upgrades uh, further into town along the stretch. About another two-thirds of a mile up Barracks Road is another smart-scale project to address the intersection of Preston Avenue and Grady Avenue. That project has also not yet begun. Next steps for the Barracks Emmett project include final approval by City Council this summer and completion of the design in the winter of 2022. If all goes according to schedule, construction would begin in the spring of 2023. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and the one-year anniversary, not so special, but hey, it's all special. And now it's time for another reader-supported public service announcement. The future of passenger rail in Virginia got a lot more brighter this year, as the Commonwealth of Virginia signed agreements with CSX to purchase hundreds of miles of railway corridors for $3 billion. Virginians for high-speed rail are holding a transportation town hall on July 15th, that's Thursday, at 1 p.m. on The True Story of the Virginia CSX Deal, Lessons Learned, and the Future of Passenger Rail. Virginia Transportation Secretary Shannon Valentine and Amtrak President Stephen Gardner are the speakers.
And finally today, later on tonight, the Albemarle County Planning Commission will get an update from Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville on the redevelopment of Southwood. The 5th and Avon Community Advisory Committee got an update in late June, as reported in this podcast. The first phase of construction at Southwood is underway, based on a rezoning granted by the Board of Supervisors in August of 2019. Part of the project includes constructions of apartments that will be required to be rented to families below 80% of the area's annual median income. Those units will be constructed by Piedmont Housing Alliance, who were contracting with Habitat to purchase about four and three-quarter acres of land within the first rezoning phase. Habitat had entered into a performance agreement with Albemarle County and the Albemarle Economic Development Authority to provide the below-market units in exchange for up to $1.8 million in funding from the county tied to specific milestones. Under the terms of the agreement, Habitat would also receive tax rebates for either a period of 10 years or until Habitat got about $1.4 million in those incremental rebates. There's a link to the original performance agreement in the newsletter. That agreement has to be amended to reflect the new arrangement. The Albemarle Economic Development Authority met in a special meeting on June 30, 2021 to discuss the matter. Richard Deloria is the assistant county attorney. The redevelopment plan is going to uh, uh, is going to work towards 700 to 800 um, new dwelling units. 400 of those units will be affordable dwelling units. The plan is to develop phase one first, um, because then that will not nece- that won't displace the residents um, who are now in the mobile homes. Deloria said the EDA is serving as a conduit for the funds that Albemarle is putting forward, both up front and through the rebate process. He also said it was always anticipated as a possibility that Habitat would involve another partner. From my recollection of discussions before the Planning Commission and before this board, is that in order for this um, project to be viable, Habitat would sell a portion of it um, to a third party. In late June, the Virginia Housing Development Authority awarded Piedmont Housing Alliance over a million dollars in low-income housing tax credits for 70 units in what will be known as Southwood Apartments. The cost to build the remaining 51 apartments that are shown in a conceptual diagram for the project will be supplemented by another affordability mechanism. In order to close the deal, the EDA had to adopt a resolution approving a certificate that determined Piedmont Housing is an entity that will implement some of the terms of the affordability agreed to in the original performance agreement. The resolution was crafted to acknowledge that the EDA was solely serving as a conduit and had no independent verification of the contents of a letter that the EDA chair will sign to acknowledge the EDA's endorsement. Jim Bowling is the attorney for the Albemarle Economic Development Authority. The reason for that is you want it both places. Is you never know where these letters are going to end up or, or when it's going to become a problem. And my role is to ensure that the board members don't become entangled in any future dispute. In his comments, Deloria said that Albemarle County Housing Coordinator Stacy Pethia indicated no issue with the draft endorsement letter. But Deputy County Attorney Andy Herrick had raised a flag. I will say that um, the, the attorney for the Planning Commission has had um, some comments on it. Um, and the significant comment is on page two, um, the first uh, uh, clause number two, um, that indicates the um, 
the 30 year minimum period of affordability may be shortened in the event of the sale of the properties acquired by foreclosure and other circumstances. The agreement does not anticipate that as a possibility. That language is included due to federal regulations to how low-income housing tax credits work. Attorney Tara Boyd represented the Piedmont Housing Alliance at the EDA meeting and explained the apartment complex will be built on Hickory Street. Your performance agreement requires at least 80 live tech units. Uh, um, PHA is currently tracking at about 120 light tech units. So we'll be able to go above and beyond the minimum, which is good. Boyd said her job is to do due diligence for PHA, which is a newcomer to the performance agreement. We reviewed this and we saw some things that we wanted to get comfort on to make sure that we weren't stepping into liabilities that either we weren't intended to have or that didn't make sense for us. And one of the things that jumped out was this description of the LIHTC ADUs, the 80 LIHTC ADUs, and this 30-year requirement. Well, in order to get the low-income housing tax credits for these 80 units, the federal regs governing those credits only, um, they provide a 15-year uh, point during the affordability period when uh, the, the um, ownership can turn over. Boyd said the plan is for Piedmont Housing Alliance to retain ownership for the 30 years, but the technicalities of the low-income housing tax credit regulations require that amendment to reflect that possibility. Piedmont Housing Alliance took advantage of such a point a few years ago to become the majority partner in a consortium that owns and manages Friendship Court. The Board of Supervisors will consider this matter at an upcoming meeting. Finally today, I mentioned at the top of the show that today, July 13th, is the anniversary of the first edition of this program. I created the show and newsletter because the pandemic woke up a calling for me to describe what was happening at that time. I'm fortunate that when I was about 19, I lucked out and I found a pathway forward that allowed me to apply my curiosity about the mundane into a career. And if you're interested in the last year of that career, check out the first newsletter. The podcast version back then was less than five minutes long. Since then, I've been experimenting with the format for this newsletter, all toward the idea that uh, experimenting with bringing you information about what's happening in this community hopefully helps you get involved and hopefully helps me get better about bringing that information to as many people as possible. I hope to do this for a very long time, and thank you for your support and for reading. There was a brief time where I strayed off this pathway, and I'm glad to be back now, thanks to all of the support from everybody uh, who has made a contribution so far. I think by now you know how that is, but if not, that can either be through Substack or through Patreon. I'm sure we'll talk about that more on another show. I'd like to conclude today by thanking my very good friend Jeffrey Cudlin for his contribution of music that you hear throughout most of these shows. He makes this program sound good, and I'm grateful for his tireless work. And I owe him vocals to finally get the musical act we've been practicing on for over 35 years. And that is it for this program. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I think I've already said all the self-congratulatory bits. And I am 
can't wait to get to work right away on the next newsletter, which will hopefully come out sometime tomorrow. Again, thank you very much for listening. Stay safe and stay cool out there. And uh, uh, again, thank you for all your support and uh, send it on to somebody else uh, so we can keep growing the audience. Have a great day out there. See you again. person work seven days a week. Time flies when you're talking about land use. You may not know this. It takes two weeks to make a donor. Ah, I got a message. What's that?